Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. Happy Friday from Wesson Walker. A nasty Friday. We're going to try to brighten your day here in the middays from 12 to 3, as we usually try to do on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. If you want to share your thoughts and comments, you can do so, as always, on the FanDuel text line, 704-570-9610. Again, 704-570-9610. The weather outside is gross. The game last night between the Hornets and the Bucks that was nasty, too. So a couple of gross things to talk about at the beginning of the show, and then maybe we can focus on some bright spots as we move on. But even something worse than the outcome, watching the Hornets lose to the Bucks last night, 111 to 99, and that was even closer. Just like that 40-point game, the 40-point loss to the Bucks, that was closer than what we saw. This one also ended up being closer than what it really entailed. They did make a run in the second half, but still a pretty tough one to watch here. Hopefully they can get back on track. But what was worse than all of that, it's Steve Clifford's comments on LaMelo Ball. Wes, how are we feeling about LaMelo coming back, not coming back from injury after what he said pregame, saying he's still doing the same stuff that he was doing two weeks ago, but really we just don't have a timetable. He's out indefinitely right now. I don't think that's the word they used, but that he's just not expected to come back anytime real soon. And if he is, then it would feel like a surprise at this point. Uh, it's just disappointing, disheartening uh, with Lamelo. It's been injury after injury after injury. And, uh, you know, the only hope that you can have is to – be like, well, hopefully this is one of these things that he's going to deal with early in his career, and then it's going to pass, and hopefully he won't have many injury problems again. But I think it also speaks to, I think Melo is a gym rat, but I'm not sure how much he does to really, really take care of his body and safeguard it from injuries. I could be wrong. This is very reckless speculation. Here, <laughs> but I don't see many how, I don't see many videos on his pages or anything of him working out or doing different things. We did see some from the Hornets, to be fair. We did see him working out a couple of weeks ago, or at least being in well, the gym. Well, was he just hoping, or was he? Was I think he? I think it was I think it was more so of a ramp up session. I don't know about in the gym if that's what you're yeah, specifically yeah, talking I'm about. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about like you know the 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 uh, you know the 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 fitness part of the whole deal as far as the lifting weights and doing all the things that we know these athletes do to really take care of their bodies. The LeBrons, the best of the best guys, because you know you see his brother, and they said Lonzo can't even sprint at this point. And so you worry a little yeah, bit been, about that as well, if it's in the genetics, if this is going to be like a thing um, with those guys, man. And so you, you hate it and you hate to hear it. And you thought that once he got hurt this last time that he was going to be back, um, you know, relatively quickly, not this long to where we're staring down the barrel now of him missing the rest of the season. Yeah, we are. We are staring at that. Fitty, you have something to say over there? You're making a lot of... Ugh, troublesome faces. Is this all about LaMelo, too? Look, I I don't know how this happened, but Merrill Hodge was asked about LaMelo's status, and he responded <laughs> with a... <laughs> <laughs> no. No! If Merrill Hodge is saying it, he doesn't have anything good to say about LaMelo. There's just no way. What do you think about it again, Merrill? <laughs> I, 
<laughs> I want y'all to know. When I was cutting his interview yesterday, and I got to uh, that that part where he just goes. <clears throat> I was in our little side studio ten minutes with the maniacal fitty laugh that I have because we've never heard a <clears throat> to start an answer in the history of radio. I mean, it was like a bull getting ready to run over in Spain. For those that don't know, that was his first response to Wes asking the question, is there anything about Drake May you do like? And once Wes asked that question, here's how Merrill Hodge responded at first. <clears throat> and then he would go on for the next five minutes in the second answer that he gave. The next five minutes saying how much there wasn't a whole lot to like about Drake May's performance. That was after the first seven-minute answer. And we did the math on this, correct, Fiddy? Yes. It was a seven-minute first answer that he gave to Wes when Wes asked, what's up with your dislike of Drake May? Seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. I didn't ask a single question. I think it's the only interview that I've been in the room where there has been 20 minutes that go by, and I didn't ask a question. I had a few comments back to Merrill, just clowning a couple of times, but that was it. Because Wes had a Bryce Young question locked and loaded, and I was like, go ahead and deploy it now, man. We might not get to it. <laughs> you need to do it now. That interview, it's worth your time. Like You're going to have to weed through some things, okay? Like There's three answers that Merrill Hodge gives, two answers on Drake May, one on Bryce Young, which he's also not a fan of, by the way. Not a fan of Bryce Young. So you're going to have to weed through some things, but we're going to repurpose some of that audio a little bit later on in this hour, too, and discuss just what's up with the hate from Merrill Hayton Hodge. We did a dog barking competition on the air. I think we should have a grunt off. Okay, we can do that. Wes is going to win. He, he already has patented the grunt that Merrill Hodge's grunt is great, but it's the second best grunt on the show. Are well, we trying to uh, are we trying to? Do it exactly how he did it, or we're doing our own interpretations of what a grunt should be? That's the question. Any grunt that I have is an impression of Wes's grunt. So I'm biting <laughs> off the style anyway. I don't even know what a Walker normal grunt would sound like. It's not original. It's definitely biting off the style because Wes has already mastered this, and Merrill Hodge comes in and gives his own version. Uh, version... Because I have different, I have different. Sound a little too G E in the middle. Lots of G's with Merrill Hodge. I don't know why I said he gave his own version. That was weird. Anyways, what were you gonna say, Wes? Please I, say because me I have different grunts. You know what I'm saying? I have that one that you guys have been accustomed to that I bit uh, from the great star. But I have my other grunts that I use. Oh, who'd games. you who'd you get that from? From Star uh, is a guy. He was a shock jock like back in the day. Okay. Kind of like people refer to him like the Black Howard Stern. Was he a star? But now he does. But now he does YouTube. Terrible. Now he does a YouTube live show that's very popular that I listen to a couple times a week. And so I kind of got that. I, well, I didn't kind of. I got it. All right. So him. you're telling us. That, okay. So all right. You bit off the style as well. So now my impression of Wes's grunt is actually an impression of Wes doing an impression of Star. That's yeah. what we're saying. But okay. then I have different ones. Like when the 49ers play, I have different ones. When, you know, Debo breaks a bunch of tackles or McCaffrey has a nice run. Like I have different ones that I do like. So Debo, he catches it. He stiffs arm. He stiff arms Marlon yeah. Humphrey. He's yeah. running down the sideline and he yeah. scores a touchdown. What yeah. do you do? What do you do? I go, like that. That's angry. You're mad. No, it's just I'm lit. <laughs> it's like I'm out there with them. You know what I'm saying? So, so <laughs> you have that compared to what Merrill Hodge did. 
<laughs> that sounds like a dog. Like, you're right. It sounds it like does. an animal. It sounds like we went into the cave. We heard that, and we need to get out of the cave. Exactly. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like a tiger, like, snoring. Mm-hmm. Like, it's in the middle of a dream, and mm-hmm. it makes that noise. Big Cat Dan, I love it, honestly. I love this whole bit from Big Cat Dan on the text line. Merrill Hodge thinks kittens are trash. <laughs> he started to get much of uh, Michael, the 49er fan, he said, Walker, who the hell is giving out virgins? Okay, we move on. It's time to get off of the bus. Open up the doors, Fiddy, and do it quick. We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. tip last night between the Hornets and the Bucks. Of course, the Bucks get swept. They get beat down. It was the fourth time that happened. Not even really any close games. The Hornets get destroyed before that game. Steve Clifford took some questions from the media. And of course, they asked about LaMelo Ball. What's his status? When could he potentially return? Here's what Steve Clifford had to say. It's hard to tell. I mean, look, he hasn't, you know... He's doing the same stuff now that he was doing two weeks ago. I, you know, like I, I that I don't. As you, I tell you guys, I don't know that stuff. You know, he does whatever they allow him to do. Um, there's a lot of factors in that, obviously. Uh, so I don't, you know, like today, you know, he did a lot of shooter run. He's he's been doing that for a while. He wants to be back. It's just, you know, again, he he's not doesn't feel healthy enough and people aren't comfortable enough that he should play so i know he wants to get back i mean it's just a lot of factors in that one it's concerning on a couple of different levels we discussed this on locked on hornets west and one of the tones that we took from this me and doug branson was the fact that he seemed protective he was vague mm-hmm. he's not giving us any answers which okay but we just don't know how to operate with the star player making $200 million, playing 36 games last year and playing just north of 20 so far this season, and we don't know if he's going to add to that total. He might just sit out the rest of the season. He's using words like they and people, and I don't know if he's talking about the training staff. I don't know if he's mentioning LaMelo and his camp. I don't know how much a part of this the organization is, the higher-ups, where you might have not an internal battle, but Steve Clifford, as a head coach, as somebody that wants to set a culture of winning, if you listen to him post-game, which he went on an epic Steve Clifford rant, one of the frequent ones he's given so far this year, of course he wants to win. The way you win is by putting your best players out there on the floor, and that would include LaMelo Ball at the highest order. And so you might even have an internal debate of should we put LaMelo out there? And then you have the higher-ups with Gabe Plotkin, with Rick Schnall, maybe Mitch Kupchak as an advisor, Jeff Peterson coming over as the new president of basketball ops, saying, well, hold on, this guy is making $200 million. If he goes out there and gets hurt again, we add another injury on top of this, it's just not worth it. We're going to sit him out. Either way, you can't leave those comments. You can't hear those and think, oh, okay, I feel good about the future of LaMelo Ball this year and beyond. There's just no way you take any positivity from it. Yeah, if he doesn't play for the rest of the season, he will have only played 22 games, and that would make 58 in the last two seasons. That's entirely uh, unacceptable. And I know that, you know, some of the injuries he cannot help, but also this is something that the Hornets are going to have to take into consideration. And I think that they're going to more than likely give him another year to prove that. But I think if we get another year of this, uh, because, you know, there's rumors circulating 
that the injuries, it could be an injury, it could not. But we're going to roll with that it is an injury. But I think that's something that the Hornets have to seriously look at uh, going ahead. And I think, obviously, they're going to give him every shot in the book to prove to them that he, in fact, can be durable, that he, in fact, is all in on this season um, because the money and the draft choice and what he means to this franchise says as much. But at the end of the day, uh, if this were not to be the case and, and this is just a situation to where it's just kind of just hanging out because the Hornets aren't very good, that would be really disheartening. And I, I wouldn't necessarily want to think of it that way, but you see it. But uh, it's just for an all-star guard for you, for a franchise that's supposed to be the leader of this team, um, it's, it's just extremely disappointing, especially for something that, you know, I know they've done x-rays and different things of that nature, so it's not like it's something that he necessarily, I think, sh- should be out for the rest of the season for, but... Well, we just don't know. If anybody's like, we, guess. We haven't, we haven't seen him. We don't know, but... Steve Clifford has to. There's there's two things with that with that comment. Either Steve Clifford isn't being entirely truthful, which everybody in this business isn't entirely truthful because they might view it to the point of we don't need to share any of this information. Okay, fair enough. Like you you get to do that. We have to try to figure it out and we're going to talk about it. But if you don't want to share 100% of the information, that's fine. But I just I can't get to a point where I buy Steve Clifford not knowing exactly what's going on. And that was the tone at the beginning of that comment. Could you play it again, Fiddy? Let's listen to it one more time. Like, I'm not trying to break this down and dissect it like a frog in seventh grade. I just really want to know, okay, what is it with Steve Clifford and what he knows or doesn't know about LaMelo's injury? It's hard to tell. I mean, look, he hasn't, you know, He's doing the same stuff now that he was doing two weeks ago. I, you know, like I, I that, that I don't. As you, I tell you guys, I don't know that stuff. You know, he does whatever they allow him to do. Um, there's a lot of factors in that, obviously. Uh, so I don't, you know, like today, you know, he did a lot of shooter run. He's he's been doing that for a while. He wants to be back. It's just, you know, he again, he he's not doesn't feel healthy enough and. People aren't comfortable enough that he should play. So I know he wants to get back. I mean, it's just a lot of factors in that one. There's one thing I don't think he's entirely truthful on, and there's one thing I hope he's entirely truthful on. The first being, I don't know that stuff. Okay, if you're talking about the training staff and what goes into the decision, not allowing LaMelo to play, yeah, this is the classic, I'm not a doctor. So I don't expect Steve Clifford to lie about that. And if that's the case, I understand what your point is. But he has to know the level of the injury that LaMelo suffered to the point of him not going back out there on the court. But okay, you don't know that stuff. We move on. What I don't think he's lying about and what I hope is true, he wants to be back. When Steve Clifford says LaMelo wants to be out there, I believe him. I'll give LaMelo the benefit of the doubt. He's often tried to come back. Maybe not wearing ankle braces like some people want. For sure, you could have that caveat. But I do think LaMelo wants to play basketball. He loves playing the game of basketball, and I think he does want to come back. But there are plenty of parties that might suggest, hey, sit out for a little while. We're not going to risk further injury, and so let's cool it for the rest of this season. We can share some of these other comments on the other side of the break. we got to get to break, but we got a lot of texts. We can get Wes's, Fitties, everybody sharing their opinions on LaMelo's future this season and beyond. Plus, we've got to get to some combine takeaways. Some pretty impressive performances from local college players at the Combine yesterday. Could any of them be a Carolina Panther? Let's get to it on Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Friday from Weston Walker, NASCAR Brad riding in on the FanDuel text line 704-570-9610. Happy Friday, guys, with the 49er sign. That's what I'm that's not really a Niner sign, it's a rock on sign. I was hoping <laughs> for the pickaxe, but we'll go with the rock on. I always tell Brad it's not a show yet until he writes in happy Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, guys. And so now that he did that, the show can begin. Thick Doink also saying it's Friday, all caps, let's go. Thick Doink, one of the best lines, one of the best names on the text line as well. And then people also writing in about LaMelo. 980 writing in, LaMelo's injury at this point is mental, but I also think ownership has no reason to play him for the rest of the season. This training staff doesn't have a fantastic track record. And that's true. And I'm never going to be one that feels comfortable enough because of my ignorance to healthcare, or at least healthcare as far as how I could provide it (laughs) as a doctor. I can't do it. But what I'm telling you is the training staff does not have a good reputation. And 980 is correct about that. We'll see if that's something Jeff Peterson decides to change. I wonder just how mental it could be of an injury once LaMelo comes back, just because everybody has to get through that mental barrier once they get through rehabilitation. It felt like LaMelo might have had to do that at the very beginning of this season, and then he did, to be clear. Then he started playing like an all-NBA level player for, what, that 10-game span? And then he got hurt again, which was really frustrating. David writes in, LaMelo was pulling a McCaffrey act until they trade him. Bradley shooting blanks. Fitty's other favorite is Mello equals CMC. So there's a couple of McCaffrey comparisons. It used to be Gordon Hayward that was the McCaffrey comparison. Now people are starting to put that towards the Mello ball. Hate to see that. Jason said, nope, trade Mello, trade Mello. Personnel management 101, guys. I mean, it's not, it's not that easy. I'm not trading him. Right. I'm not trading him now. If he gets injured again next year, okay. But this man is talented And you could also say, well, availability is the best ability. Man, you know what else is really hard to do? Draft somebody that's an all-star by age 20. I'm not just going to trade that guy if I think there's a shot that he can be healthy again and play him. And I'm damn sure going to wait more than just two years. I am. Especially with this team that hasn't been able to accumulate talent at that level and then just ship him because he might, might be injury prone for the rest of his career. Dude's 22 years old. Was an all-star two years ago. If he's healthy, then he's a three-time all-star at 22 years old. I'm not giving up on talent like that. If you trade him, I understand collecting all these assets, but just like what people would say about the Panthers when considering trading pieces for assets, what about this draft history lets you believe that you can get another all-star in right away? You can point to Brandon Miller. Okay, that's great. Are they going to get the second overall pick? Remember, they got lucky to get second overall this past lotto. 
What makes you think they're going to get second overall again? It's a crapshoot. We don't know. So I'm not trading LaMelo right now. Next year, if he plays 40 games again, something like that, cool. Three years is a lot. Two years, I'm not giving up on that type of young talent. Speaking of young talent, it was on full display yesterday at the Combine. That it was. Lots of impressive Combine warriors. I can't wait for overreaction season, and I will tell you, the self-awareness from Walker Mail is high. I fall in love with these guys, Wes. <laughs> I'm just telling you right now. Everybody get ready. If anybody listened to me at my previous stop, if you listened to me last year, you listen to my draft takes, I'll be hitting sometimes, but sometimes I miss. Either way, I fall in love with the athletes at the Combine. I do. And we saw some impressive performances. Who impressed you the most after watching maybe some of the local guys, but also overall, who were the guys that stood out to you, Wes? Well, before I begin, a uh, real quick note, too. Uh, the news starting to circulate that Marvin Harrison Jr. was supposed to show up and speak uh, on the podium today. And word is that he is a no-show. So that's interesting, especially coming off of... Uh, Caleb Williams not doing any medicals or doing any of that type of stuff, man. We're starting to see a new breed of yeah. a prospect, it seems like. But yesterday, for the prospects who did choose to get out there and do what they needed to do, uh, no question, man, it's Peyton Wilson. When you look at everything that he's battled back from, and, you know, when he came in our room with the ACC, he's been in our room two years uh, at this point. And when he comes in, man, he has an intensity about him. Uh, it's almost kind of hard sometimes to think about him smiling because he's such an intense individual and his demeanor, the way he comes across in a couple of times that I've interviewed him, and it comes across certainly in his play. He plays with his heart on his sleeve, a uh, very emotional player, very talented player, and this is what I'm talking about with the combine being a supplement to what you did on the field. This is a guy, he won the Buckus Award, he won the Bronco Nagurski Award, 138 tackles, 17 and a half for loss, six sacks, three interceptions. I mean, he was just all over the football field this season. And then what does he do when he goes to the combine? Well, he measured in at 6'4", 233 pounds. I think you'll take that. Then the 40-yard dash, he ran a blistering 4-4-3, the fastest Stupid. time of anybody <laughs> yesterday, regardless of <laughs> position. Uh, you know, he also had... Uh, you know, they did the measurements for the wingspan, the arm length, and all of those things. But Peyton Wilson, man, when you talk about uh, the workout matching up to what you see on the field, because Peyton Wilson plays fast, he plays instinctively. I think he really did himself a service yesterday. Uh, and then you talked about Cedric uh, Gray from North Carolina and what he was able to do. Charlotte product uh, in the building, 6'1 and a half, 234. That's really good size uh, for backers. Well, ran a 4'6'6. That's a that's a good time. It's good enough. Uh, you know, I think that that's a good enough time for him. And I think what's interesting, too, is they brought up during the broadcast is how not a lot of NFL defenses now, they either have formations or they're running base sets with two linebackers and sometimes one linebacker. And so it's like now you really need that guy who can do it all when they step out there on the football field. And I think both of these young men are capable of doing so. Peyton Wilson, we'll see how the medicals come back to get him if they do during this draft. But if everything was all good and he had never torn his knee up like he did at NC State and had some of those injuries, I think this is a guy that's going top 15 based off that workout and the type of season that he had. What a day. What a day for Peyton Wilson. <laughs> My, the, the first, not even overreaction, though, because th that would imply that the film wasn't there, too. 
But the film's here. The film is there, buddy. The, the film, you could take your pick. Whatever you think is more important, it doesn't matter. Both are elite. To use Matt Rule, did you? Go, I, I was looking at Fiddy as soon as I hmm. said that because a vision of a, a Matt Rule still shot just flashed before my eyes once I said that. Elite. Hmm. That's what Peyton Wilson was either elite. on the field <laughs> or out there at the combine. So here's what CBS has as far as a write-up. It is a joy watching a fully healthy Wilson over the course of his collegiate career suffer two torn ACLs, significant shoulder injury. Medical exams will be important as to what you were saying. That's what everybody is is looking at. But he was the ACC Defensive Player of the Year. And, of course, he added to that by running the four four three you mentioned and just being an overall freakazoid. If you look at Will Brinson comparing him to a certain player as a prospect, you know who that player was? Who is it? Luke Keekley with some of the measurables. That's interesting. That's interesting. So here are the measurables as to why Luke Keekley was that comparison. The height is basically the same. Six three seven eighths for Peyton, six three one quarter of an inch for Luke Keekley. The weight, Luke Keekley outweighs him two forty two, two thirty three for Peyton Wilson. Forty yard dash, Peyton Wilson is faster. Four four four, four five eight uh five eight for Keekley. Ten yard split, one five seven for Keekley, one five three for Wilson. So they're very similar. And maybe Wilson puts on weight and then runs a four five. <laughs> and it's like, okay. I'll take that. He jumped too. 34 and a half, too. That's a Crazy. very respectable uh, number. This this is the thing about Peyton, Wes. I was listening to Get Ready Fitty, the Mina Kimes podcast featuring Lenny. Mm-hmm. Mike Renner was on that. We heard the Lad McConkey comparison to Antonio Brown, which was also lofty. But they were talking about Peyton Wilson, and they expected a big day from him at the combine. And so it even surpassed that. He's also old one of the oldest prospects in the NFL draft because he did have to sit out a while and then he came back. He's 24 years old. That's really old. But they were talking about at that position, linebacker is becoming increasingly hard to play as NFL offenses progress into a different territory where it's really hard to find the overall athletic linebacker that can cover and stop the run. I mean, It's difficult to find the guys that are jack jack of all trades, especially immediately. Mm -hmm. And so they've also discussed when you look at first round linebackers, they don't really hit like that. And they haven't here recently because it's really hard to play, especially with the nuance. Not only do you have to be a physical freak and be able to do everything, but you also have to understand what play is unfolding in front of you. And so that's why it took Patrick Queen a couple of years before he started living up to his first round billing. Roquan Smith, they were talking about that being the last guy that really hit when you drafted him in the first round. And so it might even be better to draft an older linebacker because it's weird, right? Usually age kills you. Usually if you are an older prospect, that's going to hurt your draft stock. But they were making the case very the the very antithesis to the analytics. Hey, let's get somebody young and have him in our system for a while. It's the antithesis of that. Let's go ahead and get this older linebacker who also passes every single test you want to give him athletically and film-wise. Let's get the older guy that has played a ton of football, and as long as his medicals are okay, why is he not the first linebacker taken? There's nobody better. He's older. You're worried about injury. But if he passes those things enough, or at least the medical history, 
draft Peyton Wilson and draft him high. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that some teams, though, you know that they get weird uh, about some of that type of stuff, man. But I think for Peyton Wilson, for his sake, I don't see him at this point after that workout. I'm sure he'll probably do the agility stuff at NC State. I think that'll probably be phenomenal, too. I don't see him really going lower than the second round, if that. And if he does drop to the second round, it's going to be because of the medicals, maybe even third round. Like I said, the NFL teams, man, they just get weird uh, about that stuff, too. And talking about freaks really quickly, man, got to give a shout-out to the big man, Tavondre Sweat, man. 366 pounds, running a 5.2740. That is, you talk about crazy. That is, I mean, that's as good as it gets. That's almost the equivalent to a guy running low 4-2 uh, at that size for him to be running like that. But then the defensive line as well, for some of you guys out there hungry for some of the uh, other ACC prospects and guys that you're familiar with, uh, you know, Jared Verge from Florida State, he came out and had himself a day yesterday. Uh, that's another guy that a lot of people have their eyes on, and I thought that he worked out really well, too. He ran in that low 4.6, high 4.5 range uh, that he ran. Braden Fist from Florida State had a tremendous day, uh, too, as well. He was tremendous, 2.92. Uh, he ran a 4.7840. So there was some big performances yesterday. I think the combine warrior of the day had to have been Chop Robinson from Penn State. Uh, ran a 4.4840 at 254 pounds, but only had four sacks last year. So there's your workout warrior for you from day one. There's a lot. So Chop Robinson is one. I think people expected him to have a pretty big day as well. You bring up Tavondre Sweat. I just can't help. I feel like Jordan Davis ruined me. Because I look at that and I think, oh, yeah, that's an incredible test. And then I go look at Jordan Davis, who's 6'6 and weighs 340 pounds, granted 20 pounds less than sweat. So I understand. 26, baby. We're big man. Every pound counts. And that's true. And so, tw- <laughs> so, so, so 20 pounds more is, is a big deal. But also Jordan Davis at 6'6, 340, ran a 4'7, 8. Yeah. That melts my brain. Yeah. I, I don't even know what to do with that. And there's a reason as to why like a nose tackle – was drafted where he was by Philly in the first round that high. But Sweat, I'll take that too. Like comparing him to Jordan Davis is like comparing him to the best combine defensive tackle athlete we've ever seen. But with or nose tackle specifically. But another defensive tackle I'm looking at if we're trying to match workout warrior for workout warrior, how about Braden Fisk for Florida State? Yeah. That guy tested at the highest levels of anybody else at the defensive tackle spot at the combine yesterday. So he ranked first among defensive tackles in the 40 yard dash at four, seven, eight, 10 yard split was one, six, eight broad jump, nine, nine. He was also third in the vertical jump with 33 and a half. Florida state had some athletes down there on that defense. I mean, it wasn't Georgia. I don't think, but they were putting out a lot of athletes. It leads me to this question, Wes, like, I wouldn't do it at 33. That would be a lot. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not saying take a defensive tackle at 33, but I do like the idea of placing a really athletic defensive tackle right next to Derek Brown, especially on some of those even man fronts. Mm-hmm. And then you have another edge rusher, whoever it may be. You got to figure that out too. But I, I like the idea of a really athletic defensive tackle next to Derek Brown, who's also really athletic and can do it all, and just to see what they can do as a pass rush. How high on the priority list is defensive tackle? Um, well, for one, I, I still operate off the fact that the base front is the odds, so you're talking a nose guard. But to your point, I think that Braden Fisk could have value if you did pick him 
because he could play a 3-4 yeah. defensive end. He's got the athleticism to be able to do that because I think that is a very, very underrated position of need for the Panthers. If you want to balance out that defense and get some pass rush from the other side, especially if you bring Brian Burns back, you need to get you a man at that other 3-4 defensive end spot because, as I pointed out before, you look at some of the great defenses, and I always harken back to the 49ers when they had Justin Smith and Alden Smith playing uh, beside each other and how those two used to wreck shops. So I think if the Panthers really want to balance out that defense, get more to the quarterback, a guy like Fisk would work as a 4-3, three technique to play alongside of Derrick Brown, and you could interchange those two guys. Or if you wanted to put him at that 3-4 defensive end, uh, you know, it's a position that I don't think the Panthers will address with that first pick uh, as well as linebacker too because – they could probably use a, an, an inside guy, but I don't know, you know, if they would decide to do that. Now, if you lose Frankie Louvu in free agency, that that could change. And that's the thing with this Carolina team. There's so many directions they can go in. There's so many things you need. I feel like it's going to have to be a method to where this offseason you're probably going to pick two things, two to three things at the most that you can try to shore up. And then the next year, you're going to have to try and do two to three more things. But uh, linebacker or edge rusher, it would have to be a really wild situation. It'd have to be something like Dallas Turner drops yeah, yeah, draft yeah. day or something like that. To where you got, got a guy sitting on, in, Larry yeah, Tunsil like style. him or Jared <laughs> Verse or somebody like that somehow drops for whatever reason and you just have a real deal first-round top 20 talent staring you in the face then I think it really becomes a question in what you want to do. But for right now, I think that they have more pressing needs. Uh, but those guys, man, like I said, they they really showed out yesterday, man. And you could really see. I mean, Dallas Turner was tremendous yesterday. I mean, you, you just really see the caliber of athlete uh, that's in here. And for the Clemson fans, uh, Jeremiah Trotter Jr. did not run yesterday. He simply got measurements taken uh, and things of that nature, but he did not run. Uh, but as we said, you know, Cedric Gray and Peyton Wilson were the stars of the show. And I think that I mean, Walk, would would you think maybe – I don't know that Cedric Gray lasts to the fourth round or something like that or if something crazy happened with Peyton Wilson in the medicals, but would these be two guys you would certainly draft one or the other? And do you have – do you have a – I guess not a guess, but just a, a conviction on which one you think could be the better pro? Oh, how do you make the case for Cedric Gray outside medical? What's the case? Yeah. Of, of him dropping? Oh, no, of him being the linebacker you would take, right? Okay, like, that's okay. what you were asking, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what linebacker do you think is going to have the better NFL career? Mm-hmm. That I'd, Can you make one outside of Peyton just being so injury-prone? Yeah, I mean, I think that both of these guys have a chance to really do well because I think it's something to be said for Cedric Gray and the production that he was able to put up at North Carolina despite playing behind, uh, you know, the, the defensive lineman. It's not like we've talked about all the time how Carolina needs – to be able to find the defensive linemen that they used to have in yesteryear's past with the Peppers and the, the uh, Ebenezer Ekebons and all those really, really great defensive linemen because you're talking about a guy that had 266 tackles over the last two seasons, 23 tackles for loss and six sacks. Like I like Cedric Gray a lot, and he played on bad defenses, and he was the guy that was always making plays. If there was a play to be made, more than likely it was 33 uh, making that play for them. And I think once he gets in the NFL and playing with some real deal caliber guys on the defensive line to protect him even more, I think he has stud potential too, oh, man. So I so, think they're both really good. Oh, yeah. And, and that I want to be clear. 
I have no problem taking yeah, Cedric yeah, yeah. Gray. Uh-huh. I, if we're if the question is who would you rather have? Mm-hmm. Who yeah, do you I'd think take has Wilson, the better? No doubt, I take Wilson. I just don't know I what the case would be for Cedric mm-hmm. Gray, but I do like Cedric Gray as a later round pick. I just I, I see how deep this class is at tackle. I see how deep it is at wide receiver. There are going to be guys that fit best player available alongside position of need. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to address those two positions first at 33 and in the third round. If Peyton Wilson being there in the third would be highly enticing, it really would. Um, I wouldn't hate it by any means. It'd be fun to have that guy on the squad. It's It feels a little luxury type pick right now when you need to go ahead and eat your vegetables with some of these offensive guys. I know best player available. I get it. Yeah, pay once someone sitting in the third round. So you're you just doing have to it. pull that trigger. We don't know what offensive tackles will be there, but you're right. I wouldn't hate it. Yeah. I mean, how 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 could I hate that? It's just my eyes were bleeding watching this Carolina offense not no be able doubt. to get a lead in no the fourth doubt. quarter at all. Not a snap. They won on last second field goals every <laughs> single time. Yeah. That's crazy. To not have one single fourth quarter lead until you actually get that victory. Let's move on. We'll go to the campus corner in just a moment. We had somebody text in. Happy Friday to everybody but Merrill Hodge. (laughs) Well, you can tell him yourself, kind of, as we repurpose that audio and discuss some of his comments on Drake May and Bryce Young. Coming up next, it's Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back, folks. This is the Weston Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. On a Friday, a dreary one at that, though, man. I mean, but does the fact that it's still Friday balance it all out for you? I think so. I I think so. It's been raining a lot here recently. I would like the sunshine, but I think Friday does kind of balance it out because you're going into the weekend, and even if you have the bad weather, as long as there's not too many fitties on the road, I think you'll be okay getting home and then enjoying your weekend. Yeah, you're like, well, you know, it's still Friday. So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that's where you can take solace in that. But yesterday, uh, we had Merrill Hodge on the show, and he's had some <laughs> strong opinions about uh, Drake May, amongst other things. <laughs> and so you can catch that uh, on its archive on the WFNZ app or listen to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast, the Wesson Walker podcast. You can check out that full interview. But uh, one of the things that I, you know, thought that he was talking about that was a pretty interesting point was Bryce Young, and and we were talking about Drake May as well. And he was saying how, you know, when you draft a young quarterback that high that doesn't have the traits necessarily that are going to translate well to the NFL, he said that's when firings happen, and that's when you know coaches and front office staff they don't necessarily make it. And he said if he took Drake May, he would feel like that it was a risk, and that he'd be wondering. 
you know, how long, how much longer was he going to be around? Well, we saw that kind of firsthand, depending on how you want to look at it last season with the Carolina Panthers. I mean, Bryce Young came in as a rookie. The offense was putrid and Frank Reich was gone. Didn't even get to finish the first season here. And so the question is, is Bryce Young the NFL's biggest risk in 2023? And let's hear from Merrill Hodge on some of the reasons why Bryce Young struggled in 2023. When you watched him play from the pocket, that is when 5'9 showed up and his limited ability to throw. It almost imagined like you're in a pocket and then you have a rainbow out there. Okay, that was his radius. Okay, if he can't throw any time, he can't throw the ball outside of that with any sense of accuracy or consistency. There you go, CJ Stroud. You got no limitations. Zero. You got ways to do things with him that are, you know, are magical. What, what they were thinking there, I mean, I don't know who made the decision. I, I've still never heard who made it. Um, um, it, it to me, I, I think it's ownership because usually when ownership makes that decision, they fire everybody. So they, they're not going to get everybody rid of everybody that can hold them accountable um, or say it's their fault that they didn't develop them. But as hard as this kid works, he's never going to be 6'3". And listen, from six one to to five nine, six one's a problem. You know, like I go to Caleb Williams, six one is going to be a a problem. That is that is true across the board with passing lanes and seeing things and missing things and how defenses will handle you in the NFL versus what experience you have in college. That will be a factor, and you'll always be dealing with that. All right, and then let's hear one more quote from Haas saying how he doesn't think that you can win a championship with Bryce Young. I don't think any doubt you can make a certain scheme. He can play better but you will always have limitations and defenses will crush them. Once they know, okay, you can't push it outside the numbers. Well, I ain't got to run for certain coverages. I ain't got to play certain things to this guy. And I can pressure in ways I don't, I can't pressure most kids in the NFL. And eventually you're never going to withstand that. You could, you'll play better but to, to win a championship with, with um, those limitations. Um, I've not seen happen and, and I don't, I don't see happening. So, Walker, I'll ask you first, do you feel like that, you know, how much of a role do you feel like Bryce Young played in the ousting of Coach Reich? And was Reich ever the right fit for him, though, especially now with Canales and everything and all the positivity we've heard from him? I think saying that this was Bryce's fault or played a big part in Frank Reich getting fired absolves Reich of responsibility at what was a pretty terrible offensive game plan every single week. And I thought Frank Reich would be good, and the offense just wasn't very good every single time. I think a lot of that has to do more so with the offensive line than it did Bryce. I think if the offensive line holds up, if we were to just get to the real crux of the issue, I think if the offensive line is average, or even, Wes, like just a tick below, then I think the offense looks different. I don't think it's great. I don't think it's humming, but I do think it looks better. But the fact that they were so bad in interior pass protection, and Icky had a bad year in pass protection. Bryce Young was running for his life. You saw him deteriorate. You saw him regress as the year went on because I thought the first, I don't know, month or so, I thought a lot of the problems that this offense had, you would look at Bryce and think, okay, I I guess he's not doing anything special, but also he's not making terrible throws. When guys are open, he's hitting them. We just don't see wide receivers open, and he doesn't have a lot of time to get that football out of his hands quickly enough. 
And then for me, like once we got to Indianapolis, once we got to Chicago, that's when things started to really regress. And you point to Bryce, say, oh, buddy, this isn't good. Nothing is good. But now you're included in that. I don't think that I look at Bryce and say, you know, that's the reason why Frank Wright got fired. I think there are a lot of reasons. I think that Frank Wright not being on the same page as the coaching staff put together by the owner instead of the very head coach that is supposed to put the staff together. I think that was a big issue. So the fact that nobody's on the same page trying to work with the number one overall pick that has physical limitations, that has an offensive line that can't block, that has receivers that can't get open. I think all of that, all of that caused Frank Reich to get fired because he also didn't have the plan to combat any of it. I don't put that a lot on Bryce, especially after he got fired, like what, 10 games? Yeah, I think a lot of that had to do with Frank and the coaching staff around him. Well, I think that it was directly on Bryce and indirectly on Bryce because, for one, we know that the quarterback and the head coach are tied together, especially when you draft a guy. Uh, so I think that if that quarterback doesn't work out, more than likely you're going to see the head coach gone. So I think that Frank Reich wanted C.J. Stroud in the first place. I'll kind of always believe that. We've, we've seen it before, and then we've heard mixed stories or whatever the case may be, but I'll always be in the camp that – he wanted C.J. Stroud, and when you heard about the the team making suggestions to him, David Tepper making suggestions for him to be able to run an offense that was more similar to what he had done at Alabama, Frank Reich did not want to necessarily do that, and I think it was also because it was a little bit of stubbornness on his part because I think he's kind of like, look, he's going to run my offense. This isn't the necessarily the guy that I wanted anyway, and if we had the guy I wanted, uh, we would probably be doing a lot better. So I think that that was uh, the direct and indirectness of it. So for Bryce Young now, with Dave Canales coming in, we're going to really find out was it Bryce or was it Coach Reich at the end of the day because if – Canales is able to come in, get Bryce going, this offense gets the rolling, then all is going to be well. And you're going to say, man, it just was not a great fit with Bryce Young and Frank Reich. But if he comes in and we're seeing more of the same, then you're going to be in a situation to where you're going to more than likely be looking for another quarterback because I don't see them firing Canales before the season's done or after one season. Yeah. I think they're going to give Canales a shot. So this year, I feel like the pressure is going to be a lot on Bryce Young. I feel like the upgrades are going to come. I feel like they're going to do a decent job. I'm not saying they're going to stock the cupboard full uh, with things for him to be able to work with, but I do think that they're going to be some upgrades. And so I think this is definitely going to be uh, a no-excuse season for Bryce Young with him having a, a coordinator in there that's here to help you hear a lot of the positive things. He wants to play to Bryce's strength. And so I really think we're going to see what type of player Bryce Young is going to be this season. I think your point about the roster is especially important because you're right. Ultimately, even if you don't have a lot of upgrades on the offensive line and at the wide receiver position, two years under two different coaching staffs with, I guess, three play callers, Thomas Brown, Frank Reich, and Dave Canales, I think with all of the different players, different coaches that have tried to work with you, ultimately, you're probably going to be out on Bryce Young. I do think with us figuring out, okay, Dave Canales comes in and makes it work, then that means it's solely on Bryce. If it's the same offensive line and they struggle as much, it's going to make that picture real cloudy. But if you have Corbett or if you have and, and he's healthy and you have a better offensive line and then it doesn't work, I feel like that is the biggest indictment. Like there are different levels of not believing in Bryce. If the offensive line actually gives him time 
and you're still not moving forward as an offense, that's the biggest indictment to me on what Bryce can and can't do. But if it's still shaky, if they're still terrible, then yeah, we can start to figure out he needs some things around him. Like he can't be the guy that puts everybody on his back and takes the team down the down the field. But I don't know if we get the clear, clear picture of, oh, okay, he's absolutely not it. That's why I think it's so important. you got to fix the offensive line to get a clear picture of, of who Bryce is. No doubt about it. You have to. And with this offense, too, with him wanting to get the ball out quickly, now that will negate some of those uh, pass rush issues. And then for A.B. and Chili Willie, I see him on the line said I'm, I'm spreading reckless, reckless speculation. I'm just saying that, for one, Frank Wright was never going to come out and say that he didn't want Bryce Young. But we had seen rumors that C.J. Stroud was his guy. And I simply said, that I will always be in the camp to believe that when the man sat up there and described to you what type of quarterback he wanted for his offense, it was basically C.J. Stroud, and I'll always believe that that's who he wanted regardless of uh, you know what he might have said to the media because I always feel like, well, what else was he going to say? But when we come back, it's time to go to the corner, the campus corner on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.